podcast from Hope Church Gainsborough. For more information, visit www.hopechurchgainsborough.co.uk. chapter 2 and verse 11 through 22 this morning. Ephesians is a fabulous book for many reasons and this is a great part to be fair but I've got to start today with a well it's not a confessional (laughs) this is what's going through my head it's not a confessional all right Um, and I don't expect any judgment okay none but there was a time during this last week that I, um, at the beginning, was forced to watch <coughs> Bake Off. <laughs> I, I, again, I said no judgment, all right? For the, for the first part, I was sort of forced to watch it. And then within 15 minutes, I found myself completely and utterly glued. I know, it is disappointing, but nevertheless, there were, um, obviously there's a series of challenges. Now, I'm new to Bake Off, all right? Very new. I don't intend on (laughs) Alistair shaking his head in disappointment. (laughs) Now, as I say, I'm new to it, and there's a series of challenges that sort of happen, but one of them is called a technical challenge. Now, I liked this. There was another reason that I quite liked this uh, specific series that we'd started watching, because one of the guys, firstly, is Italian, and secondly, he is an engineer. Now that kind of pricked my attention straight away because when this guy bakes, it is incredible. It is precise. Giuseppe, his name is. You can vote for whoever you like, all right? This, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying you've got to vote for Giuseppe. <laughs> but uh, I was quite impressed by his meticulousness. Is that a word? To, to detail. Everything was so perfect. But in this technical challenge, and, and uh, what I quite liked about it, is they, there were some that had no idea what they'd been set. So the idea was that they had to make this malt loaf. I mean, there are, there's a certain age group in here that have no idea what a malt loaf is. That's the truth. So... Not you, Steve. <laughs> and and when, you, when you look at a malt loaf, it is the oddest kind of thing. It doesn't really, you know, fit the category for anything. Is it cake? Not sure. Is it loaf? Not really sure. Is it biscuity? Mm, no, not necessarily, unless it's cooked wrong, as I found out. <laughs> or baked wrong, should I say. But anyway, they go ahead, they've got a list of instructions and ingredients and everything is on the table, ready for them to do. The only thing that they don't have is a baking time. Now, I didn't realise how much confusion that could cause. I thought everything was 30 minutes. 30 min- is that not the rule? 30 minutes from frozen? We've eaten chicken pink before. I'm joking, I'm joking. But uh, they, they go ahead with this challenge, and, and what amazes me, that there were some that had no idea what they were making, they'd never even heard of it, and they're putting ingredients in that they've never used before. Malt extract, didn't know that was a thing. There was a guy with, uh, is it the, the syrup, the, the, the treacle, yeah. They were like, no, never used this before, and it was like, it wasn't coming off the spoon, you know. It's, it's you're ready for this, it's viscosity was so intense. 
I'm here all week. Anyway, it's resistance to flow, should I need to educate anybody? And they were just absolutely uh, bewildered by the whole setup. Anyway, in the end, they got these loaves. Some were this big and some were <coughs> biscuity. And some has, uh, had um, what is commonly known in the baking industry, a soggy bottom. <laughs> Not ideal. Anyway. But it drew me to think about this passage in Ephesians chapter 2. And that's not because I'm super spiritual in any way, shape or form. <laughs> it's just where I was at the time. And, and as I look at it, and as I see what God is speaking through Paul to the church at Ephesus about, it actually brings to the forefront of my mind these lists of ingredients, these instructions that if we stick to them, we'll get an end result that we have no idea what actually it was meant to look like. We're just amazed that it's there. So let's have a look and see. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. Um, and Paul's going to remind us here, the apostle, not Hollywood, just in case... He's going to remind us here just who we, you and I as the church, who we are. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Amen to that. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. I like that, don't you? We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we've laid the foundation, therefore, because we have to know what the therefore is there for. Amen? Now, come on. You got work with me this morning, because I felt like we were on it over there, so we've got to be on it over here as well, all right? So therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. That's pretty damning, isn't it? That does not look good. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. 
His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, if you're an underliner or a highlighter, that's the first one. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, there's your second one, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that as we look into your word right now, that you would just speak to us. Father, that you speak through me. Father, that we'd have ears and hearts that are receptive to what you've got to say to us. And we pray, Lord, that as we put all the ingredients, all the instructions on a page, that, Father, that we might just follow that in faith and obedience and step into what you've called us to. We ask these prayers in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So Paul is drawing us then to realise who we are as Christians, who we now are because of what Jesus has done on the cross. He's reminding us that we are saved. He's reminding us that that is because of what God has done for us through his son, the Lord Jesus. That we were once dead in our transgressions, dead in our sin, separated from God with seemingly no way back because we were outside of the promise. But now then, because of Jesus, who has completed what we could not do, who has dealt with the law and its commands and its regulations, that Jesus then, who took upon himself my sin and your sin and dealt with it there on the cross, he bore the full wrath of God once and for all so that you and I can say sorry, you and I can come into a relationship with a loving God. He has made a way where there was no way. And Paul is saying, look, this is now who you are because of what Christ has done. He's already made it clear, hasn't he? As we look, it's by grace you've been saved, back in verse eight, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. But Matt, surely, if I am a good person, I can go to heaven. No, that is not what the Bible says. Surely though, Matt, if I am brought up in a Christian household and have Christian values, then I am going to heaven. No, that is also not what the Bible says. Surely then, if we go by that means and we say that is surely who I am because I was brought up in a Christian house because that's where we stand I've got a Bible on the shelf and I come to church then I'm a Christian well by that means you get on an aeroplane you're a pilot I shan't be flying with you though you see because there is something that has to happen God has said here is my son who has dealt with your sin and your shame. 
But there has to be that acceptance of Christ as our saviour that says, I have done wrong. And I asked the question last week, as brave as it was, we have all sinned, Romans 3.23, we have all sinned. So then we have to say sorry for that sin and we have to accept Christ into our lives. And faith then allows us to walk in obedience. Faith allows us to step into what the word of God has got for us. Faith allows us to live a life. The Holy Spirit that comes into our heart at the moment of salvation draws us, helps us to live a life for God. But there has to be that moment where I realise I'm a sinner, where I say sorry for the sin in my life and I ask Jesus into my heart. Church, that's paramount. Don't think that just because you come here and you sit on these seats that that makes you a Christian. It does not. Just because you have a Bible on the shelf at home does not mean you're a Christian. Just because you were brought up and we're, we're drifting away from this, sadly, but in a Christian country, in inverted commas, does not make you a Christian. There has to be that moment where we say sorry and we accept Christ as our saviour. Paul's really clear for us. God has made a way. And then as we go through this passage, we start to see then who we, uh, what, sorry, we have been brought from. That we were outside of Christ, we're dead to sin. Or now, as we are in Christ, we are alive in Christ. We were either dead to sin or we are now alive in Christ. Now that puts a barrier, doesn't it? Because that gives a bit of a divide. Because we start to think to ourselves, right, which side of that do I fall on? That, have you noticed there isn't an in-between? We are either dead to sin or we are alive in Christ. You see how there's no, there's no actually, you know, well you're sort of 50-50. No. We're either dead to sin or we're alive in Christ. And Paul's now saying that it doesn't matter who you are, because of what Jesus has done, doesn't matter whether you're Jew, Gentile, and he goes in Corinthians to say, Jew, Gentile, Greek, slave, free, doesn't matter who you are, does not matter. Christ died for all. Amen? Christ died for all. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, doesn't matter what background you have, doesn't matter in the slightest anything, Christ has died for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But listen, but whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. There's a caveat. This is what God's done, but you have to do something about it. Don't just sit on it and think, oh, it's going to be all right. Because I can assure you, I'm telling you, I'm sorry, it's not. You have to accept Christ as your saviour. And we start to see then what the work of the cross has done. That the work of the cross has opened up a way for you and me who are not of Israel uh, descent. You and I that are outside of the promise. Even this physical promise that represents the human body. We're outside of that covenant and God has said, no, there's a new covenant now in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is for everyone. Everyone. 
There is now a new covenant, a new promise that says if you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you say sorry for your sin, he will come into your heart and you will live an everlasting life with God. You will be in that position that goes from death to life. There will be no longer the worry of eternity without God, but there will be the hope that one day we'll see our Saviour face to face. I got an amen without asking for it, I like it. And this is what Paul is saying. There is reason for celebration. There's cause for excitement. And as the church, sometimes we don't always get that. We don't always feel that buzz. In fact, it's been a long week. We think, oh, it's the first day of a new week. It's so-called Sunday. And we think, it's Monday tomorrow. I just want to lie in. (laughs) And we forget to celebrate that because of what God has done, We have life as we put our faith and our trust in him that my sin has been dealt with once and for all. The Bible tells us so far have my transgressions been placed. It's as far as the east is from the west. It can't be measured. It's done with. And the Lord Jesus Christ has uttered my name to God the Father. And if you put your faith and your trust in him, he's done the same for you. Matt's with me. Anita, oh, she's with me. Now listen to that. How incredible is that? Is that not worth celebrating? Is that not worth bringing our praise, our worship and our adoration to it? Even when we don't feel like it, we say, hang on, there's a mindset got to change here. Look at what God has done for me. And it's so simple, but so often we overcomplicate it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. How? Well, you ask, you seek, you'll find, and the door will be opened. How simple is that? It it doesn't get any easier than that. God doesn't say, go away, get your life absolutely perfect, and then we'll think about it. He says, come to me as you are, and let's deal with it. Come to me as you are, and let's deal with it. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And then back to us now. For you and I, on our day to day, that the Bible is saying to us, Paul is saying to us here, that we are one in Christ, whoever we are, wherever we're from. We've received the same spirit, the same salvation, and therefore it's the same access. doesn't matter who we are. And when we look at the Old Testament, we think, wow. And we are in that same promise. But now it is a new covenant in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now then, as we look at it, we say for us, you and I, in this moment, well, we're all quite a random bunch of ingredients, aren't we? We are all a random bunch of ingredients on a piece of paper that, when I look at it, does not make a malt loaf at the end. I'm just panicking and thinking, this is your church, God. (laughs) That he should use me. That he should use you to grow this beautiful thing that's called the church. 
when we look at it, it just mystifies us to say, God, how can you possibly do anything from this bunch of ingredients? This random bunch of ingredients. I'll stop there in case I get hurtful. But listen to verse 19 and 20. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Amen. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the, prophet, and the prophets with Christ Jesus, who he himself is the chief cornerstone. We start to piece together this beautiful thing that's called the church because of what God has done, that sinners like you and me can say, God, I am sorry for the sin in my life. Jesus, thank you for your work of the cross. Thank you for, for taking my punishment upon yourself. Thank you for dealing with my sin and my shame. You who knew no sin, you dealt with it for me. And as we do that, then we are brought into this position where we are also in a moment where we say, I am now saved, redeemed, set free. I am a Christian. I am in Christ. And the best thing for us to do when we're in Christ is to find a church so that we can live a life for Christ. Not just in these four walls, but also outside the four walls. So God has set this up for us so that we can further the gospel, yes, but also so that we can grow together, we can share together, so that we can learn together, so that we can help each other. And sometimes when we're going through things, the best place for us to go is church and say, God, look, I need your help. Bring me somebody. <laughs> somebody who's just going to listen. Somebody who's going to help. Lord, I need you. And we can so easily isolate ourselves, can't we, and take ourselves off to a little corner and think, this will be okay over here. And God's saying, look, I'm there, but I'm also over here with all these people who want to help you, all these people who are caring about you, all these people who love you. But if you don't tell them, how can they help? As a church, we have this wonderful means of communication with each other, where we just either pick up a phone or where we meet together and have a coffee, whether we get together on a Sunday and we enjoy this beautiful thing that is the church, a place where we can learn, we can grow, we can worship together, we can break bread together, we can remember, we can study, and we can just be each other, amen? We can just be ourselves. And what Paul is then saying to us, that we're in a position now, this is who we are, this is the church, but there are two things, and we've talked about these two things so many times before, they're best friends when it comes to the word, and I've already mentioned them once already this morning, they're faith and obedience. They're best friends when it comes to the word and comes to living for Christ. Faith and obedience, they are trust and step. Trust that God is working in and through us to build the church. The foundation has been laid. The chief cornerstone has been placed. And we then have to trust the instructions. We have to trust the instructions and we have to follow the recipe. Because when you look at the list of instructions, you think, wow. Huh. And if you don't follow the recipe then it's a recipe for disaster. I know, it just came to me. I apologise. But faith and obedience are the instructions and following the recipe. That's the faith. That's the, uh, the obedience. Paul 
doesn't leave us though, thank goodness, without a how to succeed. Because it's all right having the instructions and it's all right following the recipe, but there are times when it all gets a bit too much. There are times when we don't have the answer. There are times when we struggle to put one foot in front of the other. And verse 21 and 22, the two lines that I asked you to, if you're a highlighter or an underliner, these are them. In him, verse 21, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. How amazing is that? That Paul doesn't leave us without the how-to. It's in him. We cannot do it outside of him. It is impossible. We cannot go it alone. It is impossible because that means it's not a church and it means we're not a Christian. You see? It has to be in him. Else it's just a social group and we're just another bunch of people. That's not what God's called us to though. We have to do it in him. In fact, Jesus, again, makes real reference to this. Revelation 3, verse 20, uh, referring to a church age. Many believe that we're in right now, the church of Laodicea. And he says, I, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. The door of the church. Jesus is on the other side. And he's saying, I stand at the door and knock. Will you let me in? How sad is that? Church, there's a responsibility, isn't there? To put Jesus at the centre of everything that we do. There's a responsibility to keep God the very focus of everything that we are. It is not about one person here in this building. It is about what God is doing. It's about our responsibility to say, God, I am here to serve you whatever that looks like. Lord, I am here to do whatever you want me to do. And if that just means coming along, if that means getting alongside people, if that means stepping up to to something that you feel God's calling you to, then that's what we do. But this is how the church is built. It's a responsibility for all of us to keep God at the centre of all that we do. The last thing we want is that Jesus on the outside knocking on the door. Christ has to be welcomed if it's to be church. God has to be centre of all we do, otherwise it is not church at all. But also there's a responsibility for us as individuals. I know you were thinking we were going completely collective and you were out of here scot-free. No. You see, there's a responsibility for us as individuals that we live in such a way that the Holy Spirit is comfortable with inside us. Listen, and in him, verse 22, you two are being built together to come in a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. It's our responsibility too to make our lives a comfortable place for the Holy Spirit to be. What do I mean by that? Well, just turn over the page to 3 and verse 17. As Paul prays for the Ephesians, he says this, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That our hearts are a place, and the word dwell in Greek is katakoya. And that means to down home. 
That is the word-for-word translation to down home. That the Holy Spirit is so comfortable inside of us as Christians that he's got his feet up. He's got his joggers on. You with me? You, You know that comfortable position that says, they are living for me. They are following the word in faith and obedience. They are stepping into what I've called them to do. They are adherents to the word of God. We're disciples, aren't we? And they are living as I've called them to live. It's a comfortable place. And make no mistake about it, the word tells us we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to be in a position where the Holy Spirit is comfortable with inside of us. Katakoya, to down home. And you know the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. You know the fruit of the Spirit. I say it's singular because they all should be in action, not just the one that we feel comfortable with. I mean, I am patient. I, I try to be patient. Not just the one that we're comfortable with, but the fruit of the Spirit is all of that fruit that's on display. That's how we should be living. That's how we live in him. That's how we serve. That's how we live for Christ on a day-to-day basis. What's the motive of our heart? And if we keep God in the centre of all that we do, if we keep Jesus in his rightful place, then I'm pretty sure that the instructions that are laid out for us in the word of God, collectively and individually, They'll make up this beautiful thing that's called the church. And by God's grace, we've seen that in action, haven't we? Over the last 11 years. This is what God can do with a bunch of random ingredients. God can do incredible things. It is in him and through him, we're very clear, the word is very clear, that we can do those all things through Christ who strengthens us, amen? He's building his church and he's invited you and me. Amen? Let's get on with it then. This has been a podcast by Hope Church Gainsborough. For more information, visit www.hopechurchgainsborough.co.uk.